Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? The Comics Podcast or the Savage Critics website. Crashing through a brick wall just in time to punch out Hitler, it is episode 104, with Graham McMillan and I ready and willing to talk comic books until the cows come home. An image far less captivating than the one I opened with. Today, we have ourselves a good long talk about John Byrne and his career in the 80s, news about the Superman litigation and the folding of Newsweek, a discussion about the new Valiant line, and reviews of Archer and Armstrong issue number 3, Batman 13, Marvel Now Point Zero, Godzilla The Half-Century War number 3, and the latest issue of King Cat Comics and Stories by John Porcellino. All this and a few surprises in just a little over two hours, and compressed for your convenience into handy pill-shaped form. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Take two! Yeah, exactly. Uh, so well, sorry what, ju- what just happened? Well, what happened was Skype actually crashed out. When you heard the pants, that was me going, uh, because it just gave me the Skype error message. <laughs> and then That's suddenly awesome. you're talking to me, and I'm like, wait, what? And then, then of course, you kicked out. So, Well, we'll see how successful it is this week, then. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> the, this, people, this might be a really odd podcast. Although, to be fair, last week we did decide, because we had craziness at the end of last week, that we're going to try and do it in like short installments this week, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So we'll talk for like half an hour and then jump and call back or something like that. And if, if it starts dropping off, uh, then we'll probably be much less than half an hour. So people, you might get a chance for Jeff to create some crazy like interlude music. To match, that'd be great. Cause you'll be like, and that's that subject. You you always have these amazing, ambitious plans that seem to require time. <laughs> they require you doing work. You yes. always are. You're like, oh, you know, it would be awesome. Yeah, interstitial music. Like that, 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 that. Get on it, Jeff. Like, uh huh. Yeah, thanks, Ram. Yeah, you, you don't want to do that. <laughs> don't don't you care about our listeners, Jeff? You know, you did such a great job with our opening theme cast. You could maybe come up with some like background music. Oh my god, I almost that. did. Oh, it, it gives me an excuse to play with Garage Band. See, uh, uh, maybe we'll see. Ah, that would be fantastic. <clears throat> see, just the sort of thing I wanted to hear. So, I think that was a really good deflection. <laughs> uh, what on your part like, or my like, part? You're like, I don't want to do it, but why don't you do it? I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm kind of like problem solved. Why didn't I think of this sooner? I'm always like, oh, Graham, oh, oh. I should really try the whole like you do it, and then have you say, all right. It really. <laughs> it's now that we've discussed it, that'll never work again, Jeff. <laughs> I know. It's it's like uh, the um, the Doom Patrol villain that has every power that you haven't oh, thought yeah, of. The, what was his name? Ugh. Uh? That was his name, wasn't it? Was it uh? Yeah, because wasn't it just a question mark? Wasn't it like uh? <laughs> I really think it was. I think I th- it was. I just have never heard it verbalized. So hearing you say that, I'm like, that's great. They were like, look at this, huh? <laughs> so, um... Doom Patrol, you're, you're missing out. There's some hilarious stuff in there. Oh, I know. It is so good. It is so good. I really I- do need to revisit that. Yeah, it's great. Although it's really funny rereading the start of it because I did it last year, I think. Mm-hmm. You have this sort of, huh, this is much ropier than I remembered it being. I remembered it being much more together and not obviously ripped off of seven million other things. Mm. Moment, And then it comes into its own, like maybe uh, five or so issues in. But definitely, oh, yeah, the opening okay. is kind of like, whoa. See, I actually kind of like that whoa uh, opening because it just is such a bombastic... 
I'm throwing everything at the wall right now. And it kind of came together, really, especially compared to, you know, not that I had read the previous run, but um, I, I sort of checked I, it out after picking up the first or second part of Crawling from the Wreckage. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, ooh. Yeah, he really made a clear cut from that, you know. I, I remember reading that at the time because here's when we get into the For My Sins section. I was a massive Eric Larson fan back then. Really? Ah, that's somehow kind of awesome. I really, really liked the stuff in Doom Patrol. And um, who did it before that? Steve Lytle? I, I really like Yes. It. Well, yeah, and Lytle. I picked up the first issue of that reboot because the art was so gorgeous. But was that was did Cooperberg write it all the way through? Yes, he wrote it all the way up to Morrison. Yeah, and I, I was he even like set up the last Morrison issue. I seem to remember. I seem to remember like his or rather the first Morrison issue. I seem to remember like he's like here is Dorothy Spinner or something. Like there, there's something he does in his last couple of issues hmm. that is quite like Morrison was quite clearly like, okay, can you do this for me? And and mm. he set it up. Huh, great. Yeah, I the first Cooperberg issue kind of left me pretty cold. Uh, so I was just like really generic. It was very mm-hmm. much like, okay, so they're like the X Men, but not really like the X Men, right? Huh? Let's go. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's like we're gonna do the exact same thing that they did when the switch from the old X Men to the new X Men, except we're not going to make them interesting. Except, so. except we're going to kind of make it a bit dull. We, yeah, we want to keep that through line of dullness, which admittedly is kind of the thing that is Doom Patrol's secret weapon in reprints when you read the originals, is everything is so straight-faced, you know, and insane, you know. But it really acts like, oh, yeah, of course there's a man who's like half pony, half gas, you know, who's attacking the Doom Patrol. But I think, sure. I think that's the way to do it, you know what I mean? To not be like, we're so wacky, but just to be like, yeah, okay, so here's something strange. But it's not really strange if you think about it. And it's completely fucked up. Yes, exactly. But you also have to make it seem like you're not on the verge of falling asleep. You know what I mean? Which is the early Doom Patrols really did have that kind of thing of like, wow. I, no, I, I, are... I disagree. I really like the early yeah. Doom Patrols. I, 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 I think they play it straight. I can see what you're saying, but I, I don't get that at all. I see. Well, hey, but, yeah, I mean, I like but talk yes, about maybe? something that does fill that quotient. Yes. So guess what I've been rereading lately? And you'll be like, what? When I tell you. <laughs> uh, what? Clue. It came from the, it, it came from the library, but not... The Portland Library had to get an interlibrary loan, and it came from the Dauphin County Library System in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Oh, my God. You really do have this whole thing working at, like, a national level for you. I'm shocked. Uh, Gosh, I don't know now. John Burns Alpha Flight. Oh, my God. You actually wasted the effort of the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania (laughs) librarian system to make sure that you got that? (laughs) Jeff. I, I remember it, it was, here's the thing, for me, Alpha Flight was the backup strip in the British Secret Wars comic, um, okay? Like, so you'd have Jim mm-hmm. Shooter and Mike Zack in the front, like, to mm-hmm. finish your Secret Wars, uh, I want to say it was every two weeks, might have been every week, and it'd be, like, completely bombastic and over the top, and, you know, Secret Wars, and then right. you'd have Alpha Flight in the back. Yeah. Something about that balance worked because I remember being like, I love Alpha Flight. And then I read mm-hmm. this and I was like, this is the worst comic. Isn't it? They... Imagine coming together. It is appalling to the point where yeah. I can't actually believe that it continually saw print. And oh, I know. It's a mm-hmm. sarcasm, but 
Burton really has no idea what to do with the characters and doesn't disguise it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I th- Nothing yeah. Happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing happens and at excruciating length. It is the most tedious comic book and it really was. That may have been the book that sort of really ripped the last vestiges of my I'm my surprised burn worship. It didn't kill Burns' career. Because I know. it's so bad. It's really it's just terrible. It, it's terrible. I mean it, in one sense, it's actually really interesting because mm-hmm. you have your first adventure where Alpha Flight's team, and then they're not a team again for the next 10 issues. Yes. Solo stories for 10 issues. And then when they are a team again, Guardian gets killed. And mm-hmm. Not a team again. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. like, in that sense, that's weirdly formalistically interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The execution of it is completely the opposite. It, it oh, yeah. was lifeless appalling book where no one is a character no one has a personality at all no and so when he kills off guardian it, you're, you're not even left like oh my god this is so shocking you're left thinking oh that's that guy who's in like the first issue and then fuck that <laughs> juice okay yeah and then later on when they're like heather you've always been the heart of the team it comes from out of nowhere because she's been in like three issues <laughs> Yeah, it was one of those deals where I guess he was just like from Jump Street. And that's I think that's my problem with Byrne is it hit that stage where it was, you know, it was bad fanfic Byrne. You know, he's like, oh, everybody's going to care about this because I because I say so because I'm John Byrne. And it just it doesn't even even sort of the weird coded stuff like, hey, this is how Scarlet Witch and, you know, Quicksilver really should have been handled. Right? Am I right? You know, it's that whole weird John Byrne, like, I'm going to be completely dull except when I'm going to go out of the way to settle a score that no one else has any idea why it should be remotely important. Yeah. You know? It's just... Yeah, that, that book is like watching paint dry. Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing. It, but I forced my way through it because I was like, okay, and then Guardian dies, and then it gets exciting, right? Because I remember <laughs> even picking up issue 16 and 17 in the right. store and being like... Wow, they've really changed things up. Guardian's dead. And mm-hmm. it, 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 I was just like, wait, no. I remember reading these stories and they were better. They were up. <laughs> they fucked up the reprints. They've taken all the excitement out of the reprints. <laughs> oh, it really is amazing. And also, when you go back and read them collected, mm-hmm. You realize, because they actually have in the first collection, it has um, an interview with Byrne from Marvel Age. Mm-hmm. They're like, you're writing, penciling, and inking? And he pretty much is like, well, I'm not penciling. I'm doing layouts, and then I'm doing inks. Mm-hmm. And when you see the book, you're like, yeah, and you had no coherent style of inking either. Like, the art right. changes from issue to issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of amazing. It honestly looks like Byrne with a different inker every single issue, but every single issue is Byrne. Wow, that's fascinating. That is fascinating. Yeah, like he mm. forgot to do. Do you know what I mean? Like he mm. he's doing Fantastic Four, and he's like, "This is so exciting!" And then someone calls him up, and they're like, "Yeah, Alpha Flight's due." And it's like, "Oh crap! Okay, give me two days." Ha! See, I just think I think that's the thing with Burn. The idea is that you know I can see him like doing that whole like, "Okay, I've got to." I mean, even though he was being inked by amazing guys like uh, Terry Austin, you know. I'm sure he had a little bit of that, like, if you're penciling, you got to put that extra bit of 
finesse on there, you know, the extra bit of vitality or dash. So you sort of communicating to the inker what they're supposed to um, embellish, I guess. You know what I mean? And I kind of get the feeling is is that by jumping just to just from pencils to inks, it the shit just gets lifeless. But I kind of thought that I thought the Fantastic Four, as much as you know, there's some amazing stuff in there. At, at, after year one and rounding into year two, or at some point, it just it it just drained of vigor. You know, what I think about Fantastic Four is I think it's Fantastic Four works because it is fanfic, because mm-hmm. you have an emotional connection with those characters already. Yes, you know, exactly. Twenty years by that point, mm-hmm. Alpha Flight doesn't because there's nothing there. You can't mm-hmm. like, remember that. You know, remember the decades of stories we've had with these characters. Right, and so you you really are left with the fact that he can't do characterization. Mm-hmm. 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 It, it's really kind of eye opening how lifeless the writing is, and how it's just repeated regurgitations of Marvel tropes as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. one point you even have Guardian saying something like, "I was going to give up being a superhero, but now I'm here in New York. I can't wait to fly around with Captain America and Iron Man." And you're like, "Oh shit!" Like, it's your Mary Sue. I've just realized this guy is your Mary Sue. And then you kill him next issue. But still, and but it's you. Get... But see, that's it. I think I, that the thing that's amazing with Burn is how he can take his interesting ideas and he drains them of vitality himself. Yeah, but that's it. And that... like. The death of Guardian is n- is only an interesting idea if you have a relationship with Guardian, and at mm-hmm. that point you don't. He's literally been absent from the book for six issues, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not there at all, mm-hmm. and the p- series is ten issues old. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. Like, you have you have no no relationship with them. It's literally the yeah. like bringing someone on in page one and then killing them in page twenty two and being like. Remember all the good times. Really? <laughs> I'm like, no, it's not. What? No. Mm-hmm. I am mm-hmm. trying to make me feel that, but but no, I you know this was an interesting character, and it's funny. I'm saying that, and then like, but on the other hand, this man, this monster, did that very thing, and it was emotionally affected. Yes, exactly, exactly. So I, 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 there was too much that Byrne was kind of already taking for granted, I guess. You know, and God, God bless the Fantastic Four. You know, between Lee and Kirby, um, you know, there's a good long stretch where the one thing you can't say they were doing was taking things for granted. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, so, but but when when Burn gets to the height of Burn's biggest period as a superstar in comics to me is that stage where he has already moved into the realm of formula and it's and it's just and it's just breathtakingly dull i mean it's interesting because he's really somebody who is you know you look at the stuff with you know again the stuff that he was doing with fantastic four um you know the stuff that he's doing with with Claremont. He's clearly he's a guy who likes thinking about stuff, which is great. He, so he's good for like the little flourishes, but you never get down to the. Oh God, it's just so it's just mind numbing thinking about because I I swear I've read hundreds, if not thousands, of pages by John Byrne, and you can just like chart my like 
my chart of, of my interest in his work is just this horrible, you know, descending bell curve that just bottoms out. About to answer the question I was going to ask, which was, did you read his Superman run? Yes, I did. And I thought... I, I remember, and I, I've read a Superman run like in the last couple of years again. I think mm-hmm. that's better than his Alpha Flight. It is. It is. No, it absolutely is. And yet it's still um, it's still kind of fucking dull. I mean, I don't know how to describe it in any other way, but like he, apart from like coming kind of because he throws dark side in there relatively early on in the run as i recall and it just seems like oh my god this is going to be awesome and even that encounter is kind of like he just he just really never i don't know brought it and even when he was going through that period of you know because i don't know maybe i was overexposed to all the articles and interviews with him at the time but he definitely it sounded like he had a good formula he's like yeah i'm going to be taking you know the mad scientist monster on the loose theory, you know, thing from the Fleischer cartoons. And I'm going to be taking this part from the TV show. And I'm going to be taking this part that I like from the comics, but somehow it just, you know, he, some, he just got, he was such a big goddamn fan of people talking in a room, you know, just took the worst parts of like, like he really was like, ah, you know, the best part of John Broom in the space cabbie stories, not the scenes where he's in space, not the scenes where he's in the cab, but in some scene where somebody is giving him the scientific exposition in a room, that's the stuff I love, you know? And that's that's just what I remember of so much of Superman. Honestly, I, I don't know about how it was for you, but, like, I ended up reading and, and enjoying much more Jerry Ordway's, you know, Adventures of Superman, which followed after starting with, I think it was Marv Wolfman yeah. and, and Ordway, mm-hmm. you know? Um but yeah, I just being so excited for those first couple of issues of action and having them be like just the dull. The, the first issue of action he did, the, the one with the Teen Titans, is amazingly anticlimactic. Amazingly mm-hmm. anticlimactic. Um, I seem to remember that his Superman actually launches better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, th- I want to say as well, too. And Man of Steel, you got to give it some credit. Oh, no, Man, Man of Steel does, does what it's supposed to do. The thing mm-hmm. about his Superman run is even more than his Fantastic Four. Superman is very his Superman run is really tied to its time. It is a mm-hmm. 1980s Superman, and so mm-hmm. when you read it now, it is exceptionally dated. And it it's the way in which he updates the the mythos to be contemporary that mm-hmm. have dated really badly. So you know, Clark Kent is not only not the schlubby alter ego, but he's a successful novelist and successful journalist. And by the way, so is Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. Or Lex Luthor is uber yuppie. Mm-hmm. All, all mm-hmm. of that stuff feels very, very 1980s and very out of place with Superman as a whole. Yes. Well, and I think that was it. He had so many things that he wanted to do differently that I felt like Burns Superman was just a little too reactionary. Like on the one hand, there were things that make a lot of sense in in a way of like, you know what? The Clark Kent is a loser schlub has been overdone to death. The Krypton is this amazing place and Superman misses it and he's going to be longing for it. And his fortress of solitude has been done to death. 
And just a variety, you know, the whole idea of like Luther being in his jumpsuit and, you know, somehow always managing to escape from prison and then launching some crazy scheme. It, he's like, it's just done. Superman, Revenge Squads, all that sort of stuff. He's just, and, it, and I think he makes sense. By that point, there are tropes there that have been going on for like, you know, some of the more recent ones have been going on for like 10 or 15 years and some of them like 25 or 30. But he just went way, way too far in the other direction because I think there is a way that you can have, you know, Superman, the Clark Kent character be, you know, it's a little bit about what, like what Morrison's trying to do where it's kind of like, you know. He, he, he can be proactive and likable mm-hmm. without he, no longer being... Like, without being uber successful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know... I, I think, when I said it like that, I think it just made a connection in my brain, which was, I think Byrne liked Superman too much that he couldn't believe that Superman... Mm-hmm. That Clark Kent could be proactive and not be successful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he automatically was like, well, if Superman puts his, tries his hand at anything, right. he's going to be the best, because he's Superman. Like, well, one of the things I love about, I think it's Mark Waid who said this is, for all Superman's superpowers, Lois Lane will Mm -hmm. always be the better writer. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love Mm -hmm. the idea that, like, even with all of the things that he can do, Mm -hmm. there's stuff that Superman will just not not be able to be the best at because there's not a super writing power. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think that's it. There's just a lot of huge different ways. So on the one hand, I think, you know, breaking up the, you know, sort of ending the era of the Kurt Swan Superman, I think, was a a very sensible choice. But I don't think that Byrne, like you said, he kind of, he almost had too much, um, too much fanishness, you know, not not only, again, like you said, the whole like, oh, Superman's always going to be the best at, at anything that he does, but also just kind of a... I don't know there's just a, a degree of things that he was just tired of, and and while I think that that was sensible, I definitely think Byrne is, you know, at best, I guess, a reactive force. You know what I mean? He's not he's not a spectacular, spectacularly active force himself. Yeah, he, he's know? he's not a creator as such. Mm-hmm. He, he's a synthesizer. Yes, he's a know. synthesizer, and he's he's very good at interpreting. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to, I mean, you can see when you look at things like Next Men or or, or mm-hmm. Trio or Danger Unlimited, it's all it's all analogs. It's all basically mm-hmm. what if this happened to these mm-hmm. characters you already kind of know. Um, because I think that's in a weird way where his interest lies. Like I think he's so he knows what he likes and he knows what he wants mm-hmm. to be doing. And therefore he just keeps mm-hmm. going back there. Yeah. 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 No, he, he keeps going back there. I just think, I don't know if that's actually everything. I just honestly think he has, he doesn't, he is a, a synthesizer or an ant- antithesizer, but he is, yeah, he just can't, he's, his, his creative chops. Cause yeah, you read those characters and those, not only are those characters analogs, but they don't read as especially interesting in any way. And he doesn't have any sort of way to have them communicate, you know, I guess who they are apart from standing in a room and telling one another, you know? Yeah. So he's, he's very much a fan of the, um, 
heroes must be heroes, which means they're dull, I guess. Do you know what I mean? Like, superheroes have to be entirely morally upright. Uh, You know, they might have some flaw, but it'll be a flaw like Spider-Man. You know, he's unlucky, Mm -hmm. as opposed to an actual character flaw. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. Yeah, which is kind of fascinating, considering how much before he left Fantastic Four, he was really kind of interested in moving into the... Might have been the last real time that I remember him being like, no, 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 I'm going to have these characters do things that are really dumb. Well, I mean, admittedly, <laughs> I think, really I think part dumb. of that, you know, but I'm well, but you know what I mean? That are motivated by the characters, because I think normally Burn is very much a what if this happened to X, you know, and that's part of it. Some of his stuff can just read as stultifyingly passive because it's kind of like, yeah, you know. What if this happened to Superman? What if this team found out that they were blank? What if, you know, but it's not really like, but I just remember, of course, with the whole crazy thing with Johnny Storm and Alicia, at least Byrne was like, at least that was like Johnny Storm making, and Alicia making this decision to do this thing, kind Mm -hmm. of, you know? It was like, okay, it was was a bad decision and it was like a dumb idea, but it really did have this, you know, you can see what Byrne was doing, was thinking kind of backstage, so to speak, but it didn't become that sort of thing of later on of, uh, I think of, of like, oh yeah, well, if you did the Fantastic Four, but, you know, but the thing and the Human Torch really did hate each other, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it was like they really did feel like they'd betrayed one another, so. I don't know, it's, it's just, I, I was surprised at how passive Alpha Flight is. Mm-hmm. And and how how there's just fast stretches of nothing happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It it's kind of I mean, I remember that era of Marvel being one where things happened almost to the detriment of things happening. I mean like yeah, things were just exactly. continually happening because things had to mm-hmm. quote unquote happen. Um, mm-hmm. And so seeing Alpha Flight be so decompressed that Bendis should point at it and laugh. Oh, God. Well, because, because again, I feel like Burns... It's, I think Burns thought that he was giving you lots of stuff. It was just... It was small stuff. And, of course, it was all structured the same. So, like, if you have some episode, and I'm I'm entirely making this up, so it probably didn't happen. But, you know... You've got Sasquatch out at some research laboratory and there's some weird thing. Maybe it opens with a weird thing where a bunch of people get crushed by a mysterious falling tree and Sasquatch goes out and then he, you know, to to find out what's going on. And maybe he ends up exchanging some blows with like some powerful being and, you know, in the darkness that he doesn't get a good glimpse of. And then eventually by the end of the issue, you find out that it is like. Um, you know, like some forgotten Hulk villain who is now currently in the process of like, I don't know, helping reforest the Canadian wild or something like that. And then those guys shake hands and one of them drives off in a Jeep or something. And you're just like, that was absolutely fucking boring. You know, (laughs) but Burns like, what are you talking about? I had an amazing opening scene where two people, you know, wearing caps were almost hit by a tree almost hit by a tree you know and it really was just that stage of like 
I, you know, I, that was just it for me. Like, and he has that weird punchline of like, oh, but remember so-and-so from Marvel continuity? You know, it's the gremlin, but it's different. He's actually driving a gremlin this time. You know, it's just, <laughs> it doesn't. The best part is, uh, you're, the story you were describing, right up until mm-hmm. he said, it's a Hulk villain, it's the Super Scroll, And it's like issues nine and ten. Oh, there we go. Yes, holy shit, you're absolutely right. Right, and that's the one where you're like, well, that's going to be awesome, the Super Scroll. And then I forget, do they like, do they just they, challenge one another to a jogging competition? They, or they, like, like that, they or? have the most ridiculous fight. And then at one point, mm-hmm. uh, the Super Scroll hypnotizes Sasquatch, but he doesn't. And like, it's like, hi, you thought I was hypnotized, but I'm not. And now I'm zapping you into oblivion. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that's two issues. Mm. Yeah, that's two issues. <sighs> wow. Wow. It's, it's, yeah. It's a terrible, terrible comic. <laughs> it's a kind of amazingly bad comic. People, I think that you should, you too should get this from your libraries so that you can see how bad a comic it is and see that Jeff and I are not making this up. You I actually... might remember Alpha Flight being interesting. It's not. <laughs> I just love the idea that like the librarians at Harrisburg, Pennsylvania are going to be like, holy shit, this Alpha Flight book. We've had like 52 out of state requests for it in the last four months. Guess we're going to have to get this omnibus that let's get another one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Should I this? This is part one. We should stop. And yeah. we should then come back. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at that. That almost worked. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> 99 minutes. We actually managed to talk about a topic and then we finished in time. It's like we're planning it. It's like we're house astonished. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah, dude. No one's going to mistake us for house astonished anytime soon. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> I, I only wish <laughs> in my dreams. And we're back. Yes, we are. <laughs> uh, what, what what episode is this? Is this is this point two? I mean, I know it's point two, point, but it, point but two of but is it episode? Is it one hundred three or one hundred four? One hundred four, I think. Oh, shit, I thought so too, and I titled it wrong. And uh, because oh, of the various, no, you've just, you've destroyed it. You've done something terrible. Hang on, it's one hundred four. Yeah, it is one hundred four. Okay, that's great. My my main worry is is that this might also be recording twice, which would be hilarious. Um, is that is it happening? Recording recording twice is better than not recording at all. Agreed. Uh, totally agreed. As long as I don't do something dumb and uh, edit it twice. All right. So, <laughs> and on well, that note, say, if you're editing this, Jeff Lester, is this the first or second time <laughs> you're editing this sentence? <laughs> If it is the second, please, please stop, stop now. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, so John Byrne, that's going to have the the sting of uh, of recentness to it. So, news? Do you have news? There must well, be exciting news. The Superman decision. 
Mm. Wait, was the the one that upheld the that uh, the Schuster half is going to stick with DC, or has there been a new one? No, no, that yeah, that one. Oh, okay, all right. I just wanted to check. Uh, wait, you you want another? Well, here's the thing. So the judge, uh, whose name is Otis Lewis, I think. I mm-hmm. this thing I've wrote, written about this so much over the last couple of days. I honestly didn't have to look that up. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's Judge Otis D. Lewis. Um, he upheld the 1992 agreement uh, mm-hmm. that Gene Peavy, I think it might be Gene, I could be getting the name wrong, uh, signed, signed with DC. Mm-hmm. When you read his ruling, mm-hmm. you almost get the set, and I say this as someone who does not trust Mark Tobaroff as far as I can throw him, mm-hmm. but you almost get the feeling that uh, Lewis could not be any more hostile to Tobaroff if he tried. Really? The, the ruling is full of things like defendants tried to point out but failed. Defendants argued the court disagrees. I, mm-hmm. All the way through. It's mm-hmm. not just, you know, they said this uh, but I agree with, with Warner's. It's mm-hmm. it's very much, they said this and they are wrong. They did not prove this. They have said this mm-hmm. but they're completely mistaken all the way through. Mm. It's really, really weird to read because you kind of like, did Mark Toberoff like run over your dog or something? Like, <laughs> what is going on here? Um, but because of that, I'm left wondering, A, how successful Warner's lawsuit against Toberoff is going to be. Mm-hmm. And B, how the appeal hearing for the Siegel rights, which is happening in like two weeks, mm-hmm. how that's going to go. Right. Because there's a possibility now that if Toberoff can essentially be I don't know, thrown off the case or found... Because uh, the Warner lawsuit against Tobaroff is essentially he has lied, he has misrepresented right. the case to the court, the whole shebang. Mm-hmm. If that gets upheld, then they could go back and change that ruling. Like, DC could end up owning the whole fucking shebang. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, we'll see. I just, I don't know. Part of me is kind of like, I, I would be shocked if they would if you would have those steps yeah just because i mean usually i mean i suppose if there was a serious case to be made my my jeff's super rudimentary understanding of law which is dinky uh you know what's that you work in a law office yeah, but that's, I mean, dude, you're like a receptionist works in a doctor's office. You don't want them performing surgery on you. You know what I mean? I'm just saying, like, sure, I know how to spell most of these words. But ladies and gentlemen, let me assure you, I don't necessarily know what they mean. Because usually I'm like too busy under too many other deadlines panicking to make sure that something is actually, you know, center justified with one inch margins than, than I am like actually worried about you know, the, the, what the it says. legal president. Yeah. But essentially, you know, if, a you know, you get a ruling when things get appealed, it's usually to greater and greater degrees of, you know, a, a higher court analyzing what the lower court, whether it had the decision to make the decision that it did, whether it did or didn't have the authority to actually do what it said that it was going to do. I would think, uh, you know, if there's some sort of bizarre extreme situation where Tobaroff has completely, you know, has lied, has misrepresented things, has has stepped outside of his bounds, his ethical bounds, boundaries as an attorney, 
I would think that there are situations where they might say that this would necessitate going back to square one with a new attorney, maybe, but I can't, but that, the whole like turning around and that, flipping it. That's what I'd hope. I would mm-hmm. hope that it's not going to be, uh, okay, because you chose a bad attorney, you're fucked. Because yeah. I, I kind of feel, I know this isn't the case, but I kind of feel like the PV thing is kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Even though, I mean, the ruling is quite clear, like, you know, because of this 1992 agreement, you're fucked. You're not going to get anything. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I mean, that's horrible. But I, I do remember when you were telling me about this exact same situation, you know, where it's like, yeah, this person was writing DC and hitting them up for money for like, a, you know, like a long period of time. It was like, ah, don't worry, I'm not going to sue. You know, was isn't that on this side of things or was it on the other side of things? What are you defining by the other side of things? Uh, sorry, was this Siegel or Schuster? No, it, it, I, it was um, it was PV. PV was the one who was like, I'm not going to sue you. I'm not going to sue you. But if you give me some more money, like she basically right. exhorted money from DC right. for like 10 years. Um, right. So, I mean, essentially, all all that judge is doing is upholding the idea that 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 earlier agreement is valid. And yeah. my understanding is part of why they're doing that is because they, there's other legal precedent that there's also... Lot. If you read the, if you read the, the ruling, mm-hmm. they, they call out like maybe three or four different lawsuits, which essentially act as precedent for the DC agreement in 1992, which says very clearly, mm-hmm. like this takes the place of any past or future claims to copyright. Yeah. Like, it's very clear. Yeah. Um, but then, I, it's that the other thing is, like, reading through everything after that, finding mm-hmm. that Mark Peavy, her son, was basically like, yeah, but then she kind of got senile and she didn't know what she was saying. And if she did know what she was saying, she would have asked for the copyright back. Like, that sort of thing is really scummy to me as well. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, and you can make a go of that. But again, there's, there, God knows, there's reasons why the law is incredibly convoluted. And, you know, to factor in all these sorts of situations of people who do have, you know, it's like, well, at that stage, there's all sorts of power of attorney, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, exactly. It seems kind of scummy because chances are good. I don't know. It may be scummy. It may not be, you know, we're not actually there, but I mean, that's, that's, that's what the law is for, for people who weren't actually there to decide what's actually fair. So, um, I, which I might TM is some sort of cheap copyright, you know, it's like, <laughs> but you said it in my presence, Jeff. So I'd like, half of the... damn it. Ah, once again, another get rich scheme screwed up. I'll take my $1.77 that you're going to make. <laughs> <laughs> you say that now, but when the Lester's court is like huge on TV everywhere with that slogan. Like Judge Judy? Yeah, exactly. Judge exactly Judge. like Judge Judy. I could be I could be a crank in a, you know. In a, well, of course I did. I could be a crank in a frog any day of the week. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. I was going to say, I'm like, what are they? The robes, the robes. They're not a frock. It would be great. I also think that there's something to be said for crock and a frock. That uh, <laughs> might be a... Uh, so, um, well, and what do you think about Newsweek? I know this is a little bit off topic, listeners, but considering that Graham uh, writes what, what for... What I think about Newsweek? Honestly, my first thought this morning was, I wonder what that does to the non-compete clause I have with Time. Oh. People who don't know, I write for Time. Not for the magazine, mm-hmm. for the website. As part of the contract, there is a very specific, if you write for us, you can never write for Newsweek magazine mm-hmm. in there. It, there's no non-compete for anyone else. Mm-hmm. 
explicitly for Newsweek. Wow. Um, but I think it says News- Newsweek magazine, and I was then like, mm-hmm. huh, I wonder, I wonder what the deal is with that. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I feel sad insofar as it's an institution. Right. But beyond that, I don't really have much of a reaction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I was, I was just checking since you're on the cutting edge of the new media stuff, you know. Back here on the non-cutting edge, we'd canceled our subscription a couple of years back because Newsweek had just become utter trash. So the um, some of the recent covers have been fucking appalling, haven't they? I mean, really, yeah. genuinely, I can't believe you're doing that. That takes balls, or absolutely no shame whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and so and leading up to that, they'd also done something bad where like. They'd hit a period where I thought things were good and probably sales had continued to slide or whatever. But they redesigned the inside of the magazine with a lot of verve and, you know, trying to take advantage of the fact that they're sort of capsules, you know. So it was like capsule things about what's going on in the world. And then they'd have some entertaining cover stories and a lot of like they spent some money on some high end graphic designers to do great infographics and graphics in them. And then they canned them. I think this was when the Tina Brown era started. Tina Brown came in, canned them, kept the most superficial aspects. And then, yeah, started in with the, is your race, you know, is your baby racist type story. Yeah, exactly. Is, is, are Muslims to blame for all the hate in the world? Yeah. Yeah. Let's just ponder it. We're just pondering. And that's what it's like. That as sensational as that headline is. Mm-hmm. Wasn't the actual headline in front of the magazine something like the Muslim problem? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean they really it's it's like you think we're sensationalists? Don't worry. We we can be far more so. Yeah, exactly. We've got way more things up our sleeve. So um So yeah, in that was... sense, I'm I don't know, I'm not surprised and I'm also not that sad because it's like, wow, it really ended up turning into a kind of a shitty shitty Yeah. Um but it it was a big deal. Do you know what I mean? And it, it feels mm-hmm. It feels important because you kind of feel like Newsweek and Time are, are the two magazines that would maybe survive, I guess, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, as magazines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, although I, thinking back on it, and this is a potentially weird parallel, um, I remember when Enemy and Melody Maker were like the two untouchable music papers, and then Melody Maker ceased. Mm. And it really was the moment of, holy shit. But then looking back at night, you're like, of course only one can survive. Because they're cannibalizing each other's audience. And so maybe mm-hmm. that's what it is. Maybe it's like, well, of course Newsweek has to die. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess that's the best best case scenario <laughs> is that, that it has to die and now everybody goes to time as opposed to just kind of like that that certain segment of magazine buyer is disappearing and that's just the, the first one to kick off. You know? I, I, that's also... Very, very, very possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of interesting. Magazines are definitely going through, going through uh, uh, interesting times. As as are the newspapers. So I'll, I'll be. I, I wanted to get your thoughts on it. I was actually just before you called, uh, writing mm-hmm. a thing, uh, for somewhere about Patch AOL's local news service. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be profitable next year for the first time ever. Wow! Really? Yes. It's 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 already making like forty million dollars so far this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like they are not they're operating at a terrific loss. Um, but yeah, it's going to be entirely profitable this time next year. 
Wow. And when, but when you see them talk about it, they're mm-hmm. like, really, we're just doing the local newspaper model. Because everyone needs local news, and so that's what the internet's there for. And there really mm-hmm. was this moment of, but that's like local newspapers would still be about if you hadn't killed them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that it's like that's that's really weird that you're now touting. Look how close we are to newspapers. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. you know, three years ago or something, you're touting we will kill you newspapers. Right. Right. Well, because I think there there is a. Um, you know, I guess our interests sort of wax and wane. I know that, you know, definitely there's a strong interest in, you know, my awareness of my community as a community. And there's much more micro community news in San Francisco than there used to be, you know, and it's, uh, you know, maybe three or four years ago, people weren't necessarily thinking as much in in terms of communities. Maybe they were just like, "Well, sure," but what I really want to know is, you know, what I, whatever it is, what naked chick is on top of this car, <laughs> this new car with this new laptop. I don't know. I don't. Obviously, I remember nothing of the social media trends. No, you can get that on patch as well. <laughs> The other thing that's really funny about that that um, AOL thing is Tim Armstrong, the guy who founded Patch way back when, is now the CEO of AOL. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he was boasting about Patch is going to be profitable, someone apparently asked about the fact that AOL doesn't pay writers. Mm. Which, oh, thank God. Which is not true. Like AOL pays some writers. For example, in our Comics Alliance, I get paid. I yes, exactly. A lot. But mm-hmm. have a, for example, the Huffington Post doesn't pay many writers. Right, exactly, which is Patch, huge. Patch pays editors, mm-hmm. does not pay contributors. Um, and he had this, again, either a complete lack of shame or the balls to say that AOL is the single largest uh, source of payment in journalism. Uh, defined as how? I, I, I don't know. But it, it was one of those, really? Yeah, that seems unlikely to me. But, you know. You pay so many people and you pay them so little that it multiplies? Right, exactly. Exactly. By employing, yeah, employing like 400,000 people and paying them $20 a year. Uh, I don't know. I am just. Uh, that is that is some impressive balls. The balls on that guy. Because it really is. The Huffington Post model is just it's a- awful. Yeah, 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 it really is. I think the post model is a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on that mode, let's talk about comics. <laughs> the Huffington Post comic. Ooh, is there is there a Huffington Post comic? There is not. Dude, you should pitch it. Well, so you can not get paid for it. Yeah. But think of the exposure. Actually, have you been reading Dinsbury that has been uh, doing uh, strips on Huffington Post for a while? Oh my God! I read the I read the one that you posted on your blog that was awesome. Yeah, they've they've all been they've all been great. It was like a two week sequence. Mm-hmm. As uh, readers, uh, listeners, even um, it was the former newspaper man who was now having to write for the Huffington Post and trying to delude himself that it was great publicity for his brand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just the incredible number of humiliations he had to endure yeah. before he finally admitted that maybe that was not the case. <laughs> I, I love the one where they were like, you know, hey, 
Dude, great work. We think you're finally ready to curate your own slideshow, which is the, the one that you posted and was fucking phenomenal. But the one you know? that where he's talking about how he knew he and his wife knew that as a journalist, he would not always be the main breadwinner. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that was also great. Yeah. When did that happen? The wife's like 1980. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. Um, yeah. Doonesbury. Good stuff. I have, uh, I, I, I wax and wane with Doonesbury. I'm not always a, a massive fan, but I feel like when he's on, he's really on. Well, yeah, and when he's really on. Attention recently because it's the election year. Mm. Oh, you know who's really on this election year? The Onion is fucking killing it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, some of the stuff that I've seen from them. That amazing, like, Joe Biden, you know, heartfelt plea at the close of the debates or whatever. Or, or did you see um, the the joke about Mitt Romney at the second debate? That he had a medical condition that made him unable to sit down on a... Uh, on a stool when told to? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. I've tried to find where it is. Oh, man, I can't find it. Have they taken it down? Oh, no, here it is. Tearful Mitt Romney announces he has rare disease where you can't sit quietly on stool when repeatedly asked to. <laughs> the last line is Romney said additional symptoms of the syndrome include an inability to maintain a convincing human smile. Inexplicable reversals of previously stated policy positions and an impaired ability to chuckle without sounding like a deranged maniac. <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. And also, that did you see the before the second debate where it was uh, all about Obama is so excited for tonight's first debate? <laughs> no, I missed that. That's great. Though. It was just that joke, mind to death. Like, Obama said how important it was to turn up for debates ready and able to talk and engage with all the issues. And he's really looking to doing so the first time tonight. Ah, <laughs> uh, that is also pretty brilliant. Oh, God, the elections. Um,. Sorry, you were going to talk about comics, weren't you? Go! I was. I was, yeah. Go! Like 10 minutes of this segment left. Oh, you're right. Well, we should. I'm like, I'm like, we don't have any other comic news. We should talk about some more comic news before talking about the comics, I think. Okay, well, I, what has been happening in comic news, Jeff? Uh, oh, here's something. I kind of thought that, and admittedly, I don't know if this uh, this blind enthusiasm was was recreated across the comics blogosphere, but I was a little stunned when Heidi at the Beat took the announcement of the My Little Pony book selling 100,000 copies and kind of announced it as a, like, this is it. People are coming, kids are coming back into comics. Like, the the, the we've turned the corner kind of thing, you know? Um, as opposed to it being simply empty speculation about brony, you know, yeah, about well, bronies and and six covers, you know. So, so as we said, ninety thousand copies is great, mm-hmm. but it's also kind of not like it's it's amazing for My Little Pony. Yeah, like it's it's and it's great for an IDW book in general. Sure, but you know, in a year where Ultimate Avengers and Walking Dead have done more than three times that i i feel like it's i feel like it's sort of a bit much to be like this changes everything well it's a bit it's just it's 
it's dangerously premature, I think. You know, to me, it's kind of like it was like if people had hailed the high selling numbers of Turok back in the 90s as a breakthrough for Native American rights. You know what I mean? Like they didn't. <laughs> maybe they did. And I miss those those amazing, I guess. The miracle of maybe Wizard Magazine was indeed saying that back in the 90s at that point. I'm not sure. But, you know, it it on the one hand, just because it only looks at the retailer numbers and not like anything like sell through is like it could be dangerous amounts of over speculation and a sign of a of an absurdly overheated market, you know, which traditionally precedes crashes well did you see the also on the beat the thing about uh dc having over 500 percent of the variant covers now that it had five years ago yeah i well but, i think i saw you your restatement of it maybe but, uh, but just at. just talking about you know mm-hmm. overheated markets that's a terrifying sign yeah 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 so um, so I really was like, kind of like, wow, this is, um, it was, uh, I, fi- I found that a little, uh, disturbing, <laughs> but yeah. And the thing with DC, we're, we've got a marketplace where, you know, if the sell through has worked for walking dead 100 and it will, and it, and they'll move the copies for uncanny Avengers number one, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the retailers have been ordering cannily and are not worried, you know, and are not socking things away, you know, for a speculator market or whatever. I think, it, you know, there will be there's more money in the marketplace, mm-hmm. you know, um, the trick of how people with more money grow their money in the marketplace is always the second step. With, in the comics industry that is always deserving of some hand-wringing and some caution and not, you know, the opposite of, you know, hey, my little pony, it's great, you know, I, well, it's... Well, here's the thing. Walking Dead issue 100 is in its third printing. Mm-hmm. Does that make you feel slightly better about that? Well, or not? I mean... Do you, think, well, do you think that people are, like, are stashing away do you think there's? Oh, yeah. Do you think that basically like speculator booms? The the first printing and the second and third printing are the people who are actually reading it. I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know. I mean, I, it could be. It could be that um, people are walking in. Uh, no, accidental pun intended. Now that the uh, the third season of Walking Dead has started and are trying to jump on and are seeing you know issues of episode you know copies of a issue 100 i i don't know all i'm saying is is like step one is complete you know retailers spent more money to buy more copies and then in theory those copies sold through at a high rate which means that the people who put a lot of money in should have gotten a lot of money out my worry is is that intent of turning around and being like okay now we're going to i don't know diversify or branch out it suddenly is like the, well, let's, I'm going to put all the money on, you know, 31 black, you know, with, with that being my little pony number one, you know, I mean, just the amount of, I'm, I'm really kind of, IDW publishes some great books and it also has a really great eye, I think, for quality in a lot of ways, but I get incredibly antsy 
over the Mars Attacks IDW thing. It doesn't seem really? smart to me at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah of yeah, all yeah. the things that IDW do, I'm kind of surprised that that well, is the one only that makes you... To, to me, it's a flashpoint. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that IDW does that makes me antsy. That is kind of the, to me, the embodiment of of where ID, IDW's at right now that I think is, um, I don't know, it's it's kind of hubristic, you know? And I really, there's part of, because honestly, Graham, I do have this thing of like, I seem to year after year after year apparently miscalculate severely miscalculate the number of Mars Attacks fans out there in the world because I peg that number at approximately zero. Um, <laughs> but that obviously can't be the case because somebody keeps thinking that it's a good idea to bring them back and do a thing or another thing or another thing with it, you know. And but I'm like, there was just I just got that weird feeling of like. Mars Attacks versus Popeye does this amazing job of diluting both brands to me. And also it does one of the few things that I think IDW has done relatively well is, is that, you know, like I said, there's some a pretty good eye on, I think, providing quality, but also keeping everything kind of separate, which makes sense because they had so many licensed titles, you know. But So where does Infestation fall into this because if I mean, Mars Attacks is essentially just the third intercompany crossover they've done in three years well so do you not think Infestation has essentially like is that so outside of I feel and I could be wrong that those first two crossovers seemed relatively ignorable and more or less um, at least compared to the Mars Attacks thing um, ignorable now I'm of course ignorable, not the ignorable in what sense ignorable in the sense of if you're like a dude reading G.I. Joe or if you're somebody who's reading Popeye or if you're somebody who's reading uh, Star Trek, Transformers. Yeah, they went through all of them. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's it's like it's pretty it's pretty easy to ignore. I mean, and I could be wrong, but I seem to think that there was a, you know, you, you just you could read the title that you wanted to read and not not have a not have not necessarily bump into an enormous crossover. But when you slap it on the cover of every book that you're putting out, it just seems like you're gonna um, you're you're putting all your eggs in one basket, dangerously but so. I, either I'm entirely misunderstanding what IDW is doing with Mars Attacks, or you are. I, I'm because sure it am. was my sense that this was exactly the same as Infestation, in that mm -hmm. it's going to be separate one-shots and miniseries, not the regular books, and that it, oh, it will sorry. not attack okay. it will not attach itself to the regular books. Okay, I thought that the covers were actually going on the regular books, not the actual one-shots. So they're doing 40-some-odd one-shots that connect with Mars Attack with each of their various independent the, uh, each of their various titles? Yeah, it's, uh, let's see. It will be, yes, it's one-shots and, and miniseries. <coughs> oh, okay. Five, then... it's, it's five weekly one-shots. Oh, five? Yep. How did they end up with like 36 different covers? Because they all have a lot of covers. 
Oh, so, for really? example, Mars Attacks Kiss has the Mars Attacks Kiss cover, but also Mars Attacks Judge Dredd and Mars Attacks the Star Slammers. Mars Attacks Real Ghostbusters is the comic, but it also has Mars Attacks Madman covers and Mars Attacks 2 covers. Mars Attacks the Transformers is the actual comic. It has Mars Attacks uh, Paradise and Mars Attacks Spike. Mm. Yeah, so it's five one-shots. Okay. Well, then allow me to uh, viewers... Backtrack everything you said. Uh, backtrack a good chunk of it. It definitely goes back into, holy fuck, what people are doing alternate variant cover-wise. Yes. I mean, that's too much, really, don't you think? Uh, so. It's looking like, and again, this is just me reading the press release, and they could definitely change their mind. It's looking like mm-hmm. every comic has two variant covers in addition to its regular cover. Right. Which is, I think, the same as Infestation did. Oh, interesting. So really, it's, it's essentially just... just infestation again, except it's Mars attacks instead of Lovecraft or zombies. And it's and it's fifteen. It's fifteen covers altogether. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah that's a drop in the bucket compared to but, DC's. Go, if you think about it, that fifteen covers altogether is less covers for five issues than Uncanny Avengers had for its first issue. Yeah. No. Absolutely right. <laughs> the killing blow. <laughs> K.O. Grab McMillan. <laughs> like, well done. And uh, half hour mark, Jeff Lester. We've done it again. <laughs> it required me being a bit of a bumbling idiot there for like five or ten minutes, but still, success. I, don't know. I, 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 I would see your point if it was right. <laughs> what was happening was happening, but it's not. Yes, it's then, not. Okay, I, well, I, I'm great. I, I, see, I, I, I give you what you were saying. It's mm-hmm. What you're saying about what is happening is are different things. And what a relief. Okay, when we come back, we are going to talk actual comic books, actual comic books that are out, and actual comic books that are out now. Let's see how we do on that. We'll, we'll see. Uh, I should <laughs> say, we'll be right back after these messages. <laughs> Welcome back. That's so good. I was expecting you to go farther with that. No, no, I, I'm, I'm trying to be the um, NPR guy. Oh. Because that's what it is. You're listening to, wait, what? Our weekly pledge drive. We would like to draw you towards the please buy us a beer button on savagecritic.com. <laughs> which I completely forgot existed until I was on the site yesterday. And I was like, oh, that's right. We've got that PayPal link. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, Thank goodness we occasionally every so often get some money from kind individuals. And my goodness, for those of you who feel like throwing us a couple of dollars, please do. Um, (laughs) Please. We'll just give you our bank account details and you can put it directly in. That's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone's a winner under that scenario. So, uh, Graham, did you you pick up any books this week? Uh, I picked up Marvel Point One digitally because I haven't been to the store. But I was like, I'm going to read Marvel's uh, Marvel Now Point One. Wow, you have now, and I don't mean to guilt you about this. No, I, I went to the store at the weekend and picked up the last few weeks of books. Oh, I see. Okay, well, we can talk about those. Half the books that I'm going to be talking about probably came out at least last week. I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah. So what did what did I pick up? I picked up the action thing uh i picked up um stumptowns i picked up the buff oh, very- shit i forgot to pick up the second issue of stumptown right okay <laughs> right 
write it down. Um, yeah, I, I picked up the Buffy books. Are you reading the Buffy books still? No. I'm. They're in so much better shape than they were in season eight. It's That's what you're fun. saying. Yeah. And, but still so. Mm-hmm. Like, and they're now more than a year in. Wow. That's great. Uh, and it's kind of like, ah, oh, you guys have not fucked up. Um, mm-hmm. What else did I pick up? I picked up Archer and Armstrong. Mm, yeah, issue three. I got mailed Archer and Armstrong. Mm. Uh, and Bloodshot, which continues to surprise me by how much I like it. Which issue? Uh, issue four is the most recent issue I've read. Fuck. I've only read the first two issues, and they did not have issue three there, and I didn't see issue four on the stand, so. Issue four, I wouldn't say issue four was out last week. Again, it's another one I got in the mail, but they send them really irregularly, and sometimes I'm either really behind or really ahead. Right. right. Like, you know, here's a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, you and I had talked about uh, how much, you did a great job of getting me interested in, um, actually, I think I picked up Archer and Armstrong a little bit on my own, but you'd been saying good things about Valiant, and now I'm hooked on, I managed to pick up the last two issues of Harbinger, although I haven't read them, and I would love to pick up those two issues of Bloodshot. It looks like I might be doing those digitally. So, Well, there's nothing wrong with digitally, my friend. Uh, yeah, but it's, the Valiant books just continue to make me surprised by how on board I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, just, they're just great. Even Exo Man of War, which I was not a massive fan of for the first arc, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm really liking this Ninjak arc. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so yeah, I, I Valiant books are are incredibly strong, and they really do feel to me like, and this sounds meaner than it's meant to, uh, mm-hmm. but like Marvel done right. Like it, mm-hmm. it's got a Marvel. It feels like it's got the sensibility that Marvel are going for. Yes, but somehow it doesn't. It seems more natural. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Very much uh, so. And so, yeah, I'm really, really enjoying it. I think Harbinger's great. But yeah, Blood, mm-hmm. I, I think Bloodshot might be my favorite. Which really, which, I, 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 if you asked me cold, I think I would mm-hmm. be strong. If I yeah. Yeah, I, I, can, I can imagine that. Because it, it is, I was surprised that I liked first two issues of Bloodshot as much as I did. And Harbinger, too. No, they're all, they're all very good, strong. What I, I think what I like about it is, is that it really is doing the Valiant, I feel, is managed to do exactly what you should be doing as a publisher, which is, is the idea of, at this point, I now actually have enough faith in whoever's editing the books for being able to pick people of quality up that it's it's like a, it's almost like a seal of quality, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of like... I would that, that you now sort of automatically assume... You know, it's a valiant book. Oh, I'll I'll give it a try because it's probably going to be good. Right, exactly. Which is what you're supposed to. Which is kind of what I think you're supposed to do with a, a publisher brand. Not the idea of like, oh, I should pick all these books up because they all tie into one another and it's all the same universe or something like that. Doesn't after a certain point that really doesn't matter. Really, you're supposed to grow it exactly this way. Like a number of titles that are accessible you know, enough titles that are out there that you're always on the verge of like, oh, well, I've got all of these, but maybe I should pick up this one and then I'll have, you know, I'll be reading all of them um, because they're all good. You know, it's, um, yeah, I actually quite liked Archer and Armstrong, the third issue of this uh, a lot. Did you, did you read it? Yes. Um, one of the things that I liked about it uh, was essentially that some of the stuff that i figured the creators would be moving into 
later on down the line they moved into in the third issue. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I really thought it was going to be one of those situations where um, where Archer's Archer was going to, you know, because of the idea of like he was doing this to help, you know, because of the people, you know, back in his commune that he cared about, the girl that he was in love with and the, and the various members of the quote unquote family, you know, that they were going to save the confrontation between him and the girl that he's in love with for further on down the line. Yeah. And then to see it happen so soon and kind of brutally as well. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. It, there really was something about the, huh, you're, you're, I don't know if it's uh you're going for broke or you have a massive plan, but right. there really was some sense of, oh, I did not see that happening now. Exactly. Exactly. And so it was kind of this thing of like, oh, okay. I thought, like this will be the thing they'll be building at for issue five or six or how far down the line, depending on where they go for it. And having it break out here at three, it was kind of like, oh, holy shit. Okay, they're going to, yeah, they're they're going to keep things moving. And yeah. um, I, that impressed me tremendously. But I, I think the same, it's interesting. I feel the same thing is true of Harbinger. Mm-hmm. Even though Harbinger is, if it's following the same line as the Jim Shooter version, Mm-hmm. It's taking a really long time to get there. But mm-hmm. there's just something about the way that it's going about it. It mm-hmm. really feels packed and it really feels that they're 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 throwing it all in. Do you know what I mean? They're not just like, well, let's pad it out, let's see mm-hmm. how long we can stretch it. Right. Everything yeah. everything feels earned. Yeah, which is great. It's such a great feeling in a comic book. Oh. So, okay, good. I'm really, I'm, I'm glad that you picked it up and read it and liked it as well. So, Yeah, no, I, I, I'm really, really enjoying that stuff. What else do I have? I, my pile is right here. Batman and Robin, Earth 2. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see. Oh, stuff I've been sent that I, I have read for this week is the Sword of, Sword of Sorcery, issue 1. Hmm. Um, and Justice League 13. And I have to say about Justice League 13, Tony Daniel, when did you become a good artist? Mm. I, Interesting. I, it's, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not wonderful, mm-hmm. but it feels to me on par with the Jim Lee stuff that's been in the book. Wow. Which I, I did not even vaguely expect. Mm-hmm. Well, my feeling about Daniel, and I could be totally wrong, is that he is a slower artist um, who can actually look quite impressive if he's got enough time. So I feel like his stuff starts out strong and then proceeds to fall apart, you know, over the period of months. You know, that, that's my memory of some of the, not so much with the Batman RIP stuff, but like I said, as somebody who got suckered into Detective Comics, I was like, started off, I was like, this actually looks all right. And then as it went on, it was like, Oh man, just having a real tough time figuring out how that body fits on that head, buddy. <laughs> you know. So. Well, I I thought this was art wise a really strong issue, mm-hmm. um, and it feels like John's again. It feels like he knows where he's going uh, mm-hmm. in a way that he didn't in the earlier issues of the book. I feel like the first six issues were very much like, okay, big story, big story, big story, but it didn't really hold together. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. what Just League Thirteen feels like is. Uh, good era Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. He's like, Ooh. I've got you know, I've got an endpoint that I'm working towards. Right. And I'm kind of taking it slow. Mm-hmm. And so what mm-hmm. you get is uh, the cheetah. After a couple of mentions, finally makes an appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really, 
that's almost like the B plot. And mm-hmm. the plot is the tensions within the team. Mm. Um, and then the backup story isn't Shazam for once. It's leading up to the creation of the Justice League of America title. Oh, interesting. I guess that's interesting. With uh, with Jeff Lemire co-writing, oddly enough. Hmm. Jeff Johnson. Jeff Lemire, yeah. Wow, that Jeff Lemire, man. You know, I hope he's getting paid because he's certainly having himself a, a pretty good year, I think, as far as... You know, it's because didn't he didn't he uh, collaborate with uh, Demon Lindelof on that like Batman uh, story on the Legends Art Night story? Yeah, and he's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sweet Tooth wrapping up. He's got another vertical title launching that he's writing and drawing. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, Sales apparently went up on their Animal Man Swamp Thing crossover. That's so. great. That, yeah, kind of surprising, but it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Underwater Welder. Oh, right. Underwater Welder, which I haven't read. A lot of people have said very good things about, but. Yeah, so I mean, he's he's having a good year. He's 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 managing to balance it all kind of amazingly. Yeah, it sounds like. So hopefully he can continue to do that because, because uh, boy, oh boy, the machine will. Uh... It, it, yeah, exactly. It will chew. Oh, that's the thing. I was really surprised to see at New York Comic Con that American Vampire is going on hiatus. Oh, really? Did you see that? No, no, I missed it. I paid it. It's going on hiatus, uh, and Scott Snyder is launching another vertical title with Sean Murphy. Oh, yeah, but it's a miniseries or something, isn't it? Because apparently Raphael Albuquerque is going to be working on DCU stuff. That's why American Vampire is going away. And I, I was just wondering... it. Basically, if American Vampire will come back, yeah, do you know yeah, what I mean? We'll like, hiatus that lasts forever could be. I mean, it's I don't know. It's tough. I it's funny. Back in the old days, you know, when Vertigo talent was kept very separate from DC talent, you know, it 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 was. It's hard to imagine that sort of um, I don't want to say pilfering, but you know repurposing of of artistic teams what's you know, happening quite that way batman had um had the 100 bullets team and 100 bullets went on hiatus oh that's true but that was a couple of years back and that was sort of uh it 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 seemed like a very one-time sort yeah, of thing it, it really did seem like an event mm-hmm. yeah exactly it seemed like an event not just like hey we think that you know wait the, to see Raphael albuquerque do a you know batman comic or whatever yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, hmm. But yeah, I, uh, she, the machine does tend to um, eat you up. Yeah, for sure. Although, talking hey. about um, NYCC News. Yes. Uh, Matt Fraction's doing an ongoing series of Image. Is it ongoing? And it's not the one with Chaykin. It's the it's the other one, right? Yeah. 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 With Chip Zdarsky. Right. Which I have to say, uh, that could be that could be kind of great. That could be kind of great. I I I love Chip. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but the the press release to, about the comic itself mm-hmm. just made me go, oh. <laughs> What's the line that made me think? Oh no. Um, not to toot our own horns, but there's never been a comic like Sex Criminals before. There've been comedy books with sex, sex comics with comedic moments, but no book with sex comic as comedy as a narrative thrust. Hard to imagine, but comedy and sex, which fits together so naturally, literally everywhere else in the entertainment world, doesn't get done in comic books. What are they talking about? 
Yeah, that I was like, if that's not tongue in cheek, I'm a little worried about this comic. Yeah, seriously. Well, yeah, I, we'll I, see. I hope it's tongue in cheek, but yeah, mm-hmm. um, the plot is. Uh, two young lovers go on a lust-fueled crime spree with a twist. When they have sex, time itself seems to stop. Set in a world where the laws of time and space are as dubious and mutable as the laws of man and society, Sex Criminals promises to scandalize, titillate, and provoke when it bursts onto the comic scene next year. The other thing is, it doesn't seem like a, an ongoing series to me. Right. It really feels like a miniseries. Like, I can't believe there is enough in that. Mm-hmm. to do an ongoing book but well. Mm-hmm. well maybe i mean the thing is is chip zadarsky's um is amazingly funny i think i think fraction also can be um pretty goddamn amusing so i think there's a shot like if there's anyone who could like continue to crank out like serious hilarity of a sexual nature oh yeah no it's it's those two i completely mm-hmm. agree yeah uh, and again i'm not i'm not sure i would put uh fraction in with sex comedy but Zdarsky definitely like oh definitely anyone I trust doing a sex comedy uh, in comics it's Zdarsky yeah yeah definitely even so it just part of me is like that's an ongoing series well it also has a little bit of like until you break in like the stopping of time shenanigans it sounds a lot like kill your boyfriend you know well maybe maybe it is well, but I mean, I guess that's my thing is this kind of like, you know, I think that that's my problem. Like if it started off with like some sort of high concept that didn't feel like it was lifted from a Grant Morrison high concept book, I would be a little, which admittedly that itself felt like kind of a bad ripoff of, you know, oh. Grant getting high in front of natural born killers and going like, Really? They did this all wrong. I you know? I always thought that Kill Your Boyfriend was very much um, Lindsay Anderson. Yes, well, that makes a lot of sense. Really, um, like you know, it was it was the someone has watched if a lot of times, and then during Britpop saw that Sleeper had a woman lead singer and thought, I've got a great idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I'm willing to bet that that would be exactly 100 percent what happened. <laughs> I, he did for love- myself having encountered the book in america with uh none of those references other than having heard of lindy and lindsey anderson's movies and still have- not having seen any of them yep. what's that jeff lester and everyone else listening to this you owe it to yourself to hunt down if an old lucky man mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I think both are on dvd they're yes not on netflix maybe they're on hulu maybe they're on amazon prime they might be on Hulu because I think at least one of those might have gotten a Criterion release recently. Don't you think? Yeah, I thought so. I see. Uh, if is not. Mm, okay. Maybe a lucky man is. No, maybe not. Nope. Uh, nope. Or maybe it is if it's misspelled. <laughs> it, where they added the O-H for O lucky man? Yeah. No, neither neither on Hulu. But mm. I Whoever, however you need to get them, people, you should see these films. They are really, really, really good films. Um, I was thinking just yesterday about my personal, my personal Criterion collection. The the movies that you know are the ones I'd point to and be like, those, those are fucking awesome, and everyone should see them. And mm. those two are definitely on there. Mm. Well, see, now I'm all like, God, Graham, what else is on there? 
Uh, Head, the monkey's film, is on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Three Colors Red is on there. The Kuzlov mm-hmm. Krasowski film. And I mm-hmm. completely butchered his name because I can never get his name right. Um, the Gerard Depardieu Serrano's Bergerac is on there. Mm-hmm. Scott Pilgrim is on there. Yes. Um, and Help by the Beatles. Interesting. I, I think Help by the Beatles is one of those films that visually is just stunning. <sighs> I remember as a young art student um, seeing Help, and I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Just being like, holy fuck, the colors in this film are amazing. You know, it's one of those weird things where I remember Help so fondly because seeing it as a kid, it was like great. And then re-seeing it as an adult, and it, I was like, oh, this is terrible. Like, it was just... Acting and story are appalling. Bad. So bad. And especially if you make the mistake of seeing it really soon after a hard day's night, you know, which, which again, is, is, is genuinely good in those departments, so... Yeah, um, help is half-assed in amazing ways. I yeah. I think I've said this to you before. Head, the monkey's film, mm-hmm. for me, is the film that help should have been. And definitely the film that um, Magical Mystery Tour should have been. Because mm-hmm. the pedigree alone is written by Jack Nicholson. Come on! <laughs> Isn't it co-written? Isn't it Nicholson and Raffleson? Or no? No, it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, it's it, Frank Zappa's in it. Right. And yeah, it's it's ahead is is an amazing amazing film. Yeah, you don't have to agree, but it is. I haven't seen it, so that's all. That's all. It's it's one of those like yeah, I got to get around to seeing that. Like it's you know on my cinematic bucket list. But um... you'll be, I feel you'll be kind of disappointed if it's actually on your cinematic bucket list. Hey, this weekend I saw um, Beauty and the Beast, the cocktail version, which I've no, oh, isn't it fantastic? Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I watched it because I was doing the thing for time, comparing mm-hmm. the Cocteau version, the Disney version, the 1987 pilot <laughs> show, and the 2012 pilot. <laughs> and it's so weird because, like, I can draw the lines between the Cocteau version and the Disney version really clearly because it's the same mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. And I can draw lines between the Cocteau version and the 1987 TV show clearly as well. Like, mm-hmm. you're leaving it, like the 87 version has clearly seen that. Yes. Tried to understand it. Like, there, there's, there's, there's definitely parallels. And mm-hmm. the 2012 version is appalling. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And you can definitely draw lines between the 2012 version and, and utter shit. <laughs> I say in the article, but, like, it shouldn't be called Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. It's because it's, it's not. It's, it's just not. Um, it is ostensibly a remake of the 87 version. Mm-hmm. But only if you define remake as the characters have the same name, mm. thing is called the same. The end. Man, the beast is also not a beast. He's a very attractive man with a scar. <laughs> Turned into the Hulk at one point. So there's that. Oh, great! Really? Uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. When he gets angry. He basically, like, his face changes like Angel in uh, Buffy. Mm-hmm. And he he gets super strong. Oh, Lord. Uh... Television, Jeff. 
television. I just love the idea that it's kind of like, you know, it sounds like it sounds like a joke from a Dan Klaus cartoon, you know, it's like 1987. He's hideously deformed. And, you know, it's like a beast mask. And it's like 2012. He's hideously deformed. And it's like a scar. Yeah, it's, it's like it's the joke of um, Dr. Doom that he thinks he's hideously, hideously deformed. And then it turns out that he he's just one scar. Right, right. Exactly. I, except I said, except it's the actual society that seems to believe that. So. Uh, yeah, so I said the name should be Sexy Cop and the Non-Intellectual Property Infringing Cross Between the Hulk and Angel from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Wow. Wait, is that that's, that's, and, and Beauty or? <laughs> the Non-Intellectual Property Infringing Cross Between the Hulk and the Angel from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She's wow. Cop. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is... It's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, the, uh, the cocktail film is amazing. And it, it's one of the films that's been on my bucket list and I've never seen. And then, like I told you, Hulu Plus has the Criterion Collection. It's like, I've got it. I've actually got access to it. I'm totally watching this. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, cocktail stuff is amazing. We were at the uh, the Man Ray show that they have currently showing out here. Um at the um what's it called the legion of honor and um they had an excerpt from orpheus uh i think it was orpheus because they're the lee miller who was the the photographer who worked with man ray and was kind of his muse for many years it was really a man ray slash lee miller show and i'll i'll rant to everyone about lee miller at some other point because she's kind of amazing but um, she ended. She ends up playing a part in one of Cocteau's movies. He ends up casting her as this uh, statue. So this isn't Orpheus. It's the other movie, and not Beauty and the Beast. Anyway, the thing that was amazing is Edie and I are watching the excerpt from this film, and we're like, we had actually we still haven't seen the entire movie, but we had seen another excerpt from the same film when we were at the Guggenheim in New York two years ago as part of a different show, I guess. I think it was a, a, a some, I think a retrospective of surrealism. But, um, and it's, his work is just phenomenal. It is so simple, but direct and poetic and- Amazing images and beauty in the beast. Yeah, absorbing. He's just got a great, he's just got a great handle for that, for, you know, and and for special effects that are just so simple and yet work so well, you know. You've seen Beauty and the Beast, right? Uh, the the cocktail one, yes. Although not in a while. There's Signed there's up. a part where she's using the glove to get returned to her father, mm-hmm. and there's a special effect that makes it look like she's stepping through the wall. Yes, and it is stunning. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's so simple when you realize how they've done it. Mm-hmm. But before you, like, when you see it for the first time and you haven't realized that your brain's not made that connection, yes, it's it's amazing to see. Yeah, and isn't that that thing where the gloves, like they, they just filmed them coming off her in reverse, so that it appears like she sort of they like fly onto her hands or whatever. And also, then the film when the beast flies, they he just uh, reverses the film of, of him jumping down. And yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, he just he really is able to take some really basic, you know, fundamental film tricks, but because he's got such an amazing eye and his sense of timing and everything, and they they're just stunning. 
yeah, it, it's it's really, yeah, I, I I was really blown away by it. I'm I'm completely throwing us off. Or I was about to say, I'm like yes, and for comics, we've talking about Jean Cocteau for the last fifteen twenty minutes. Okay, he's awesome. I'm trying to think what else I've read. Okay, Sword of Sorcery. Mm-hmm. Um, is everything you thought you didn't like about the first issue, which is issue zero again because now it's issue one. Here's the thing, though. It's issue one. You'd think they'd make it so you could pick this book up. Yeah. You know what I mean? No. Nope. Mm-hmm. It's clearly issue two. Shit. There is no introduction. Oh, that's so bad. Terrible. It's it's really disappointing. It, it You'd think that they would have, because it says in big letters, issue one. But the Beowulf backup, for example, says mm-hmm. part two. <laughs> and starts, you know, in media res. I, I, this is... Um, the Amethyst lead. Uh, Sorry. No. Previous issue. Yeah. It's it's really, really disappointing. God. It's just that great, like, oh, we'll just shoehorn, you know, episode one into, you know, issue one. We'll turn that into issue zero. No need to rework issue two or anything like that, yeah. you know. Everyone who wants to read it will probably have read issue zero, right? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a horrible, horrible wasted opportunity. Mm, 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 mm. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think what else I've read so that we can get through all my comics and then we can do your comics <laughs> what do you think um, oh Bandit the Bandit spinoff oh dude wait a minute the Bandit spinoff has not been released yet well if you get <laughs> it's motherfucker yeah. you are a motherfucker Graham McMillan because you, you had that announcement of like, oh, yeah, Tales of the Urchin are out now. I'm like, great. I jumped to all the websites. I'm like, it's it's not. I Yeah, I just realized that. When when is it available? When? They don't even tell you when. I was like, ah. So, yeah, it looked gorgeous, fucker. How, how is it? Is it good? It's good. <laughs> I've only I've only got a, I only had a couple of pages of it, but I was going to say mm-hmm. that was yeah I really liked and I really liked that Steve Labor is essentially Dragon Colin Gruber style, <laughs> which is wonderful. Which is wonderful. I saw those two or three preview pages and it was like oh yeah please more of this you know so um, yeah that's one of those where it's like maybe I will try and write Allison at Monkey Brain and find out when the release date on that is because. Uh, that was like an instant, like, I will purchase this on day one. Is this day one? Is it? I can't tell. Don't let me know. It must not be, but. Then you can put it in the show notes and everyone else will know. <laughs> uh, I, Marvel, Marvel point. No, what's it called? Marvel now point one. Was... Marvel now point not. So, yeah, tell me about that. Um, so if you go in thinking, I pretty much know what strips I'm going to like based upon what books are advertising. You will one hundred percent correct. Mm. Not like seven percent, not fifty percent. It is exactly what you'd expect. Wow. Um, apart from the one that is surprising, mm-hmm. is the framing story, which is a, the Secret Avengers uh, mm-hmm. by Nick Spencer and Luke Ross, mm-hmm. and it is it exists. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> I'm really not convinced. The the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, preview is horrifically incomplete. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it Bendis? It's Bendis and Steve McDiarmid. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and honestly, stopped in a way that I, I was like, so they're going to continue this somewhere else in the issue, right? No. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, it literally like stops in the middle. Uh, the Nova thing is... Self-contained. The Nova thing is self-contained. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. Um, it's also amazingly slight. Oh, yeah. Astonishingly slight. Uh, Young Avengers I really liked. Mm-hmm. And I think might be my favorite Jimmy McKellar art I've seen. Ooh. Um, I, there, there's just parts where I really, really, really love it. Um, I, but I like the setup as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which is essentially Loki makes Miss America think that he's a villain and he's not. Mm-hmm. Completely plays in her preconception that he is automatically up to no good. Uh, but in the process, manipulates her into doing what he wants her to do anyway. Yeah, that's lovely. Um, the Ant-Man story is really nice looking and terrible. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and is that it? No, there's, there is another story. The other story is... Oh, the Cable the um, cable and X-Force story, which made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Uh. I was like, I'm sure this is like a, a really big thing if you're into Cable. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, huh. Yeah. It was all right. Hmm. Overall, though, it's not worth five ninety nine. I was about to say, it's pretty goddamn pricey. But here's what it has going for it, Jeff. Mm-hmm. We know where all of these stories are going to continue. If you think back to the last Marvel Point One story. That's true. You might remember that I think three of those stories have not actually been continued anywhere yet. Yes, exactly. Uh, which is kind of amazing if you think about it. If yeah. The point of the book is this is what's happening in Marvel in the next year, and of the five stories, three of them were not continued. <laughs> well, okay. So there's the Ultron one. There's the thieves breaking into the Watcher's house as part of their, you know, some top secret something or other. And there's the uh, Dragon Moon and whatever the other superhero. Oh yeah, those incredible that incredibly dull couple. To be fair, they didn't they appear in one issue of. Jason Aaron's Wolverine at that point or something? Did they? I want to say yes. Maybe they did. But uh, that's the really boring Asian Wonder Twins. Yes, and they were very clearly the Asian Wonder Twins, which is kind of. Uh. <laughs> I think I think maybe they have. I think maybe they did appear. Although honestly, I think they appeared in Aaron's Wolverine, like maybe even before that point one issue or something. So. But yeah, the, the, the three stories of the five never continued. Which is kind of amazing. You all yeah. have to applaud them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's Marvel, you know? I mean, I don't know. Did, did you ever... Because I think you actually asked on Blog At, like, is the, is the Watcher story supposed to continue somewhere? Or was that just sort of set up as a thing? I... Uh... I believe it was supposed to continue somewhere, but it hasn't. I think everything in there was supposed to be a setup for something. I, I would think so, but I wasn't entirely sure since that was like Brubaker and was that Marcos Martin doing the art at that point? I could be wrong, and I'm sure someone will correct me, but I think the plan was that it was going to be continued somewhere, and then it, like plans changed. Right. Well, yeah, because, I mean, that point one, if you pick up that point one, is there any indication of Avengers versus X-Men in there? Yes. Oh, is there? Yeah, that's what the Nova story is all about. Remember, the Nova story is the Phoenix is coming. Oh, you're right. Oh, God. That was so damn dull. I thought that was just the Infinite comic. Why did I think that appeared somewhere else? Okay. Thank you for correcting me. 
Um, shit. What, what what did I want to ask you? Did did the Martian thing ever come about? No. Wow. What? No. Like really? I want to say that someone has said something somewhere, and I honestly couldn't remember where I saw this. Maybe I'm totally imagining it. Mm-hmm. But it was it was going to happen, and then it wasn't. Yeah, I think because it popped up a lot in some of Brubaker's stuff, I sort of I, it wouldn't surprise me if he said it in one of his mentioned it in one of his interviews. I I don't know I don't know if that's the case or not, but I seem to remember that it's a Brubaker plot that because Brubaker left is just not going to happen. Yeah, but yeah, but it was a plot that they teased like two years ago or something, you know. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, which I don't know. Like, I'm like, part of me is like, well, that's Marvel. That's part of the good old Marvel I remember when Chris Claremont, like, just threw a bunch of stuff on the wall to see what stuck. And then whatever didn't, he'd be like, <laughs> I'll get to it at some point. Um, yeah. Huh. Well, interesting. So do you. So you feel pretty comfortable that this Marvel Now point one issue that of the however many pieces in them that they're all going to end up directly continued on? Huh? Because all of them are setups for books that at the back of the comic it's like, and this continues in this t- title, this continues mm. in this title, this continues in this title. Mm. Well, there you have it. Uh, Marvel, they're learning. The last time, but yeah, it was funny because that was my my main thought finishing this was, hey, at least I know where these are going to continue if I was interested, as opposed to the last ones, where they didn't. I know. I know. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, do you think that Ultron War thing ran l- long, or do you think that it was something that they figured they would never, that they weren't going to run until around now, and they just needed something to, to float out the pages? According to Brian Hitch, mm-hmm. finished the art more than a year ago. What? Yeah. He he gave an interview somewhere. I want to say CBR. And someone's like, yeah, how's Age of Ultron coming? And he's like, yeah, he finished that a year ago. What the fuck? Really? Yes. Wow. And the, the idea is, I think they were just waiting to give um, AVX some breathing space. Sure. Didn't want two Avengers things going on at once. I think that makes sense. I mean, I guess that's a good thing. But part of me is like, man, they really are kind of I feel I feel they, they screwed the pooch. I feel they should have done it the other way around because now you yeah. have Bendis is leaving Avengers. It's a really big deal apart from this Avengers event that we're going to be publishing at some point. Mhm. Mhm. You know, I yeah. I feel that sort of ruins his end point. Yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe they'll figure out some other way that they'll do do the whole Ultron event, you know. Well, I, yeah. We'll see. I, I, yeah, did you see the Marvel solicits, or have you, are you just not paying attention anymore? Oh no, I haven't been paying attention. Uh, as as close, careful listeners can tell, I haven't been paying attention for years. Uh, uh, no, why? There is a fill-in artist on Avengers issue four, and all new X Men issue six. Wow! They've replaced artists already. Man. And on one hand, you can consider the DC New 52 were like they're filling artists on issue two. Right. But at the same time, considering Marvel have made a point of the artists you see in these books are sticking around. 
Yeah, but when pressed, some of them like Brevoort really are like that means that they will draw more of the episodes issues than not. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I think I, I was just surprised to see them all like well not all. I was surprised to see two being replaced in really high profile books that, mm-hmm. within the first six issues. Yeah, those are those are super high profile and that's really early in. Oh oh Marvel, Marvel, Marvel. So um when does Bendis's X Men come out? Is that like soon? Next month. And that's one that you're still looking forward to or looking forward to less or really curious. I'm really, really curious. I think mm-hmm. it's a really interesting setup. I'm not sure if mm-hmm. Ben guys do the setup. Mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting setup. And him doing the the whole Guardians of the Galaxy thing, are you more into that post-Tony Stark announcement or whatever? No, not at all. I'm, 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 I'm less. I'm less into that post-Tony Stark because Guardians of the Galaxy and they're defending Earth. Really? Seriously? That... <laughs> so you don't understand the idea of space heroes in space then. Right. Um, and also the point one story is so terribly dull. Oh, yeah. That it's just like, oh, so interest in that comic, dead. Mm -hmm. What a shame. What a shame. (laughs) Anyway, we've run over in this one, Jeff. Oh, shoot. We can maybe cut off half uh, 10 minutes of cocktail. (laughs) I say leave it in. Leave it all in. John Cocteau, me uh, complaining about an IDW marketing strategy that does not exist. Last, you know that was the last episode. What episode? Oh. See now you see how I'm so confused. Um, let, confused. let okay, let's jump off and then come back for one final one because I have to be off the phone by five o'clock. Wow. Okay, because I was actually like, we could just press on for another ten minutes on this and still talk about a few. I could talk about my books. We could maybe wrap things up and then let's do that then. Yeah, because I I feel like as as organic as those first few segments were, and it was kind of great. Um, we're, we're, yeah, we're pretty much right at the end run here. So, uh, I read Jeff, Jeff, uh, you read, (laughs) I read Batman issue 13 death of the family. Um, and I only partially hated it, which I think is kind of a triumph because I was expecting to fully hate it. You know, um, he told a joke, Jeff, you know what, Graham? Honestly, okay, there were bits and pieces on this that were like too much on the nose, I think. But there were other parts that the the opening sequence where the Joker is sort of running around, like encountering officers in, in the dark and kind of snapping their necks or whatever. Mm-hmm. I like that. You're on board. I, what's that? You're on board? I was I, I was on board. I was on board. Well, the other thing is, is and maybe you disagree, Graham, that even when you take 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 away the um, really kind of terrible uh, postscript story, um, the opening, the, the first issue has that Joker sequence. It has um, Batman trying to uh, Batman talking with Gordon. Batman talking with the rest of the Batman family, Batman trying to protect uh, the mayor and a showdown at the Ace Chemical Works all in one issue. I thought I kind of thought that if nothing else, it was a well-packed issue. 
Yeah, you know what and I mean? also it gives you a lot of what you would want. That's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I, I think if you're coming to this as someone who doesn't normally read Batman comics, but you know Batman, mm-hmm. I think you, you get a lot of what you would want. I think you get enough introduction. Yeah, there, that you're up to speed. Yeah, you're up to speed. You kind of know what the relations are with Batman and the rest of the, the Batman family. But it was just also, it was like, I was like, hey, you know what? This is a dense issue. This really does manage to get in a creepy Joker sequence, all the proper exposition sequence, all the little bits and clues about what the Joker's going to do, and then some sort of reversal. Now, some of that as a consequence ended up being like a little too on the nose, maybe a lot too on the nose. And also kind of beggaring belief um, as opposed to buggering belief. But I – but I'm kind of like – but that's kind of – to me, it's like that's comics. You know what I mean? Like it's got a lot of momentum. It feels like things happen. There's enough stuff jammed in so you have a sense of things being at stake. And and then and then there's even a couple of big moments in there. So I quite liked it. I mean, as you know, I'm sort of a Capullo fan, except for the parts that that sucked serious ass, and like that whole thing at the end with the Joker and Harley Quinn yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah it was it, was be- it's completely over the top. Like it, it's much the Harley reveal is much better when you don't explain it. I guess. When yes, exactly. Pages of I'm crying, I'm crying. You're so mean. It's yeah. yeah it it undercuts what what's just come before. Yeah. That that's one of those where it's just like I can see where they sort of see what they were like. Oh, here's a slam dunk, but it actually detracted. It would be a much stronger issue without the backup in that regard. So, kind of a shame. Uh, I read Jennifer Blood issue eighteen, uh, which I quite liked. Um, it once again did this kind of uh, impressive bit of like continuing to accelerate things. Uh, faster and farther than you would think you know um i had my segue earlier when i don't remember what the other book was and we were talking about the oh wow they went there that's oh i think archer and armstrong same way that archer and armstrong issue three was like wow they're doing this already like jennifer the last three issues of jennifer blood each one has the you know al ewing is stomping on the gas and 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 putting you know and putting the car into high gear um I quite liked it. Did you end up reading it yet, or no? Uh, no, I haven't. A pilot, and haven't read it. Okay. Well, I, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think there's Alpha Flight priorities yeah. may, may be off. That's right. Oh, before I forget, um, this may be of interest to you. I definitely think of the listeners. Shonen Jump Alpha has, I think, what they're calling a starter pack, which is basically a three hundred page volume, three hundred page volume of a Shonen Jump sampler to try and get everyone interested uh, that you can pick up for free. You probably have to register, but Graham, I'd be kind of curious if you would make the time to pick that up. Cause I'd be curious as to your take on some of the stuff that you don't like. I think there's a lot of it. Cause it's like, they're like, you don't need to know anything. We explain everything. It's full, complete chapters. Um, You'd be curious as to what someone who actually doesn't know anything would would think. Yeah, would think. Exactly. I think you would be like, what the fuck? And yet, that being said, there's the entire first chapter of the lacrosse manga cross manage. Um, (laughs) The first first chapter is is like a 50-page story, you know? And it sort of ends with the proper jumping off point for the series. But it's 
50 pages that are relatively satisfying in, 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 in and of their own. Um, similarly, the 50 or 45 page uh, Rurouni Kuroshin uh, reboot uh, strip, which I have not paid much attention to from, from this first part, is also relatively self-contained so that you can read it because it's like, it is like the first chapter. You don't really need to know anything going in. Um, I'd be kind of curious to see what you think, but I also think I'd be really, especially after I was talking about uh, Hikaru no Go last episode, to see what you would think of this lacrosse comic. Okay, uh, I, I will. I will give it a look. I've just seen that I have to download an app for it. Yeah, that's my one worry. Is is that downloading the app isn't a problem per se? It's the the Viz Viz Manga app or Viz Media yeah, app. Yeah. Um, and I, my only hope is, is that they don't make you have to, you don't have to register or do some bullshit for the free comic. You can actually just get the free comic and, uh, and give it a shot. Okay. Um, I, I will take a look and report yeah. back next week. And other listeners do, do, do the same if you want. Uh, Godzilla, the half century war issue three came out and I thought it was great. Um, issue two was, uh, more or less in the okay tet category for me. It didn't really bring much new to the table after the first issue brought so much new to it. But the third issue has, you know, more monsters, more plot, more of a justification for the little human beings running around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just ex- just some exceptional, again, just exceptional art and detail. It's just an incredibly... Um, you know, in a weird way, I definitely have that feeling of like, like I'm not the target audience for this in a way. The target audience is going to be somebody who's a Godzilla fan and is a 12 year old, and this is going to be the best Godzilla comic they've ever read. Kind of feeling. Yeah. Um, for me, I think it's just it's it, it it's hard to imagine it getting much closer. We'll see how what issue four brings, but yeah. So issue three, I thought was a step up from issue two. Um, issue one still has a gold standard because it's got that shock of the new, but seeing uh, Stucco bring some uh, amazing, amazing um, chops and ambition to it. Uh, it was great. And then uh, finally, I read um, Walking Dead 103 and I picked up Zosser of Zilk uh, issue one. But you've um, already read it, right? Yes. But I picked it up because I was like, ah, but I read it for free and ah, I want to support this book. And, well, yeah, that, eh. that's just it. Like, I've not been to the store, but when I go, I'm going to pick it up because yeah. even though I, I, I as well, I've read it for free. I really want to support this this book, but also this type of thing. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, exactly. And I was going to say, do they actually mention – do they mention – hold on. Oh, um, yeah, no, there, there's uh, Al Ewing drops a reference to uh, the film version of Entertaining Mr. Sloan, which I had never seen or actually heard of. But um, there's a there's a few other bits and pieces in the back matter, which admittedly are just really two pages that kind of made me go, oh, yeah, I'm kind of like, how do I put this? Zosser of Zilk. Uh, was probably not necessarily my Zosser of Zilk, but it was not. I think it may be successful for what it's trying to do, I guess, you know, whereas I think the first time I read it through, I was a little more willing to be like, eh, 
I think it missed the mark. Um, I'm definitely like re-looking at it and looking at the back matter. I'm like, eh, my sense of a mark is very, where I thought they were shooting for is very, very different from where I think they actually were shooting from. So, Interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, Bakuman 15, which was weird. Like the last three volumes, 12, 13, and 14 have all been like, like the finest, you know, elixir and heroin and everything. I just mainlined it and loved it. Issue 15 is kind of insane. Like they have some really weird choices for things to wrap up some of their, like this huge long running subplot gets resolved in the most ridiculous way possible. And then they start maybe the most ridiculously overly dramatic way to talk about creators second guessing themselves as a dramatic storyline ever. It's amazing. Um, so considering the last three volumes have been high points for me, issue 15, volume 15 did not quite rock the world. On the other hand, it's still just one of my favorite things to read. And King Cat Comics and Stories issue 73 is out. And I'm happy to report that John Porcelino sounds like he is once again in a somewhat good place. So I was going to say, I honestly thought you were going to say, I'm happy to report he's still alive. Yes, I'm happy to report. Well, exactly. There's that. But he really seems like he is uh, alive. Even just, just downright, I mean, he's moving from his first, his very first page, his very first story, which is called Mr. Bowser and His Little Cat Friends in At the Movies, is way 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 more like just flat out whimsical to the point of absurdity than i think i've actually seen from porcelino and i'm not somebody who's read him for you know since the very beginning but i was just like huh you're really doing a story about a dog that stuffs his cat friends in the jacket so they can go to the movies okay i'm that's spectacular Exactly. Certified spectacular by Graham McMillan. Um, so, so there we have it. I, I've, I've wrapped up my end of things. <laughs> and so now we're wrapping up the podcast as told. We started off really strong and then I think it, made, it might have tailed off. Jeff. Uh, yeah, you know what it is, Graham? I was a little reluctant to push you into talking about comics, I think, because I was sort of like, oh, well, we'll talk about comics news. And you're like, well, what's to talk about? I'm like, I don't know. Talk about comic news. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that worked out. And then I think when it came to talking about comics, we're like, blah. Blah. Well, admittedly, once again, thanks to the miracle of this um, this this wacky elimination diet, I was – going pretty strong for the first half and then i started to lose my mind a little bit in the second half of things so well and cons- considering that, the first half has me ranting about idw for incorrect reasons that's really saying something listeners i'm sure you would agree <laughs> oh jeff lester so next week absolutely 100 percent guaranteed i will be done with sean howe's marvel the un marvel oh Comics yes told story because you... yes, I, I finished it earlier on this week, um, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed it, although I do think it tails off dramatically towards the end. You know, it's really interesting because I have a variety of things that I will want to discuss with you at some length. We may have some special guests on here who will feel likewise. So 
Um, listeners, for those of you who have your copies and have been reading along or haven't gotten a copy yet, and it's a, it's a surprisingly thick read. It is not a book that I was able to just plow through overnight. Um, you know, grab your copies, get reading, yeah, because next it's week going is to the be... book club episode, people. Exactly. That's the perfect way to, to it's, it's it's it. the It's the Weird World Book Club. Wait, what book club? Uh, Next week. Works. Yeah, if this works, we'll do it again. And we'll pick something terrible. <laughs> That'd be great. They're like, Next, Next week. week, eat, pray, love. Yeah. <laughs> you know what would be great is if Marvel Comics had done an adaptation of like Eat, Pray, Love that was like three issues long with like, you know, story by Roy <laughs> Thomas and like art by eat. John Basima. What's that? <laughs> issue one, eat. Issue two, <laughs> pray. Part three. Oh, that would be great. Kill. Eat, <laughs> pray, kill. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm serious. Uh-oh. That's that's. Uh, uh, yes, comic plagiarists, start your engines now. Um, okay, I think I think that's it. Graham, do you, <laughs> I, I, do you wish to done. Well done. Um, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. As ever, we'd like to thank you for your listening. Thank you for your ears for the past two hours or so, uh, Jeff should be lining up the hey right now but he's not he's, he's oh yeah about it. uh and so it's hold on <laughs> i can't believe it. why do i forget it it's like i Sean don't know Lansky's one of it's... my favorite people okay so you got to say something else uh should i say eat pray love again eat, uh, no really we should do the eat pray kill that's right it's like eat pray kill hey so no, good eat pray hey <laughs> oh oh my god eat hey love <laughs> That's right. Eat. Hey. Love. <laughs> oh, I kept it playing too long. Sean, 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 thank you for entertaining us with that very, very, very simple, simple thing. We Sean are children. Is the best, ladies and gentlemen. Is the best. Um, Grant, do you want to sing us out? Hey. <laughs> Oh, yeah. There we go.